What if there was a delete button for your life and you could start again? What if there was a reset button that you could hit when you'd mess things up? I would have thought that Malcolm is quite an, um, an uncommon name. Growing up in Northern Ireland, growing up in Rathcool, I was the only Malcolm I knew. My mum got my name from the children's reading books, Dick and Dora, Nip and Tuck. Do you remember them? Anybody remember them in school? Well, Malcolm was one of the characters in that, and she liked the name, and I got it. And I went all the way through secondary school and primary school, and never met another Malcolm. Didn't think anybody was called Malcolm, apart from me. Then I went to live in Scotland. And having a name like Malcolm Duncan, I discovered that there were lots of Malcolms in the church that I just led before coming here to Dundonald. And we had seven Malcolms. I suggested that we should have a life group or a small group for Malcolms. I thought it would have been quite good fun. The oldest was 97, the youngest was me. I've, ne I've never met a younger Malcolm than me. Like Glenn, perhaps it's a name that's dying, I'm told. But about 10 days ago, I had an email. Dear Malcolm, thought you might see, like to see the figures ahead of the trustees meeting on Thursday about the charity. I'm abbreviating it for you. It's clear that we're going to have to make at least 30% of the staff redundant. And I know that I can count on your support. This is in confidence. Signed. So I wrote back and said, I think you've sent that to the wrong Malcolm. Because <laughs> it wasn't for me. They'd sent the email. Obviously my name was on their list. It was about their charity, nothing to do with me. I didn't know anything about it. They'd sent it to me by mistake. The woman wrote back to me and said, oh my goodness. I wish there was a delete button that I could have just reclaimed that. My wife last week had an email from a company. This is, these are true stories um, that um, she does some writing for. And it published, uh, it was an email that was sent to her, um, Debbie. And in it were all of the details of other authors' earnings. Um, and they'd sent it to the wrong Debbie. <laughs> have you ever done that? Some of you are nodding because you're afraid of acknowledging that you have. But then there are the emails or the letters or the messages that you send and you, they, they go to the person that they're intended to go to. It's just that you wish that you'd deleted them and rewritten them. Because to send the first email when you're angry is always a bad idea. Write it, delete it, and write another one. But sometimes our lives need delete buttons. I wish I could go back and redo that relationship. I wish I could go back and fix that issue. I wish I could somehow change that conversation or reset buttons. Let's just start again. If only it were possible. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the novel by Victor Hugo, the French novelist Les Miserables. Um, and in it, there is a character called Fontaine whose life falls on hard times and she ends up with nothing. And uh, she dies. The musical about it was um, written by Cameron McIntosh and, and a number of other people, and the lyrics are beautiful for some of the songs. As Fontaine dies in the musical, she sings a song about the pain and the sorrow and the struggle of life. 
At the very end of the line of the song that she sings, looking back over her life where she wished she'd been able to change so many things, she says, now life has killed the dream I dreamed. What a terrible situation to be in. Every time I hear it, I cry. Because I think, how many people feel like that? If only I could rerun that conversation. If only I could rerun that relationship. If I could start again. Well, very briefly tonight, I want to suggest that you can. That Christian faith and belief in Jesus Christ means that there is a reset button. And that reset button is available to all of us if only we will accept it. The Apostle Paul talks about that reset, that possibility of starting again, many times in his letters. But I would like you, if you have a Bible with you, to turn to one particular part of his letters. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the second or perhaps even the third letter that Paul has written to the Corinthian believers. And he wants them to understand something of the power of God at work through his ministry and in their lives. And he's urging them, he's pleading with them to let God have his way in their hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on therefore we regard no one from a human point of view even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. Verse 17 is the linchpin of all that that little excerpt of scripture says. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Um, this is a verse that over my ministry here in Dundonald, I will return to dozens of times to look at in dozens of different ways. Because the reality is what Paul says here is that there's a reset button. There's a possibility of your life being transformed and you being given a clean slate and being able to start again. What a remarkable thing that would be 
for a husband who has said things to his wife that he wished he hadn't, for a wife that has said things to her husband that she wished she hadn't, for a marriage that is under the uh, caution is feeling the pressure for children that are estranged from parents, from parents that are estranged from children, from people whose relationships have been severed by sin and pain and sorrow and mistrust. Imagine being able to start again. Ask the alcoholic, ask the drug addict, ask the gambler, ask the person that has an addiction in a hundred different ways. What would you give to be able to start again? And they'd say almost anything. Some have given everything and keep coming back to the same mistakes, making the same mistakes again and again and again and again and again because on our own, there can be no reset button. Very occasionally, People seem to make it out of the abyss of their mistakes and their heartbreaks and their pain, but their lives are inexorably changed by that. My late brother tried for 30 years to escape alcoholism. In the end, it killed him. He couldn't do it. And he's one of the strongest, most beautiful, inspiring and blinking frustrating people that you'd ever meet. I loved him profoundly, but he couldn't break the chains that were wrapped around his own life. I've been a pastor for 33, nearly 34 years now. I've worked with some of the people that are in the darkest, most difficult places of their lives. And again and again and again, I've seen people saying, I can get out of this mess, and they can't. No matter how hard they try, no matter how many times they come round to it, they end up stuck again because there's something about our natures, there's something about who we are that makes it incredibly difficult to get out of messes that we make. But what if somebody else can give you a reset button? Paul wanted the Corinthians, a church that was full of challenges and stresses and strains and uncertainties and broken relationships and mistakes to understand that there was such a person. That in Jesus Christ, we can start again. Now for those of you that are already Christians listening to me thinking, oh great, you're preaching to people that aren't Christians, pastor, aren't you? No, I'm preaching to you too. All of us take hope and comfort and encouragement from the reality that God gives us the chance to start again. Which of you as Christians hasn't wished you could have rerun a particular part of your lives? Saying things that you wish you hadn't said, doing things that you wish you hadn't done. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Let me briefly try and explain why that matters and how it works before I invite you to make a response. That's part of a story, not just here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's part of a biblical story. It's part of a whole story that repeats itself again and again and again from the book of Genesis all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation. And here are the stages in that story for want of a better phrase. There is creation. Then there is decreation. Then there is redemption and recreation. And it happens again and again and again. At the very beginning of the story, we read that God makes things. He creates heavens and earth and vegetation and birds and animals and people and the whole of the world. It's beautiful in his creation. He's created it. Then it falls, it fractures, it breaks and death enters the scene through mistakes made by the first man and first woman, Adam and Eve, recorded in Genesis chapter three. 
And as a result, this creation begins to decompose. It begins to break down. Relationships get strained. You see their children, one murdering the other. You see conflict in civil society. You see governments breaking down. You see language breaking down. Everything begins to decompose and to deconstruct because of that mistake. To the extent that God steps in to the created world and promises that he will recreate it. In in Genesis chapter six. And if you like, he starts again, but this time not from nothing, from that which is left. And that story is told, not just there, but again and again. The world begins in a garden. It's deconstructed and begins to decompose into the mess that we're in today. But at the end of time, the world will be made into a garden again. Recreation will happen again when God intervenes and he brings life and beauty. One of the great stories in the Old Testament is the story of the Exodus. It's the story of the people of Israel captured in slavery by the Egyptians for 400 years and led out into freedom. You can read it in the book of Exodus. And as part of the journey of releasing them from this terrible place, we are told that God intervenes in Egyptian history. Remember the creation story. He creates and he, he brings vegetation and, and, and he brings water to the earth. And one of the first things that God does to challenge the Egyptians, he decomposes the water of the river Nile into blood. In the creation story, he gives animals that are beautiful and sustaining and there's an ecosystem that is working in that story as God intervenes in Egyptian history. The locusts strip the vegetation bare. In that powerful story of creation, we see that God brings light as God intervenes with the Egyptians. He sends darkness. We see in the creation story that God creates Adam and Eve, human beings, and he brings sons and daughters from them and he blesses them. In that deconstructed story, as the Egyptian society falls apart, the firstborn son dies. Everything that seems to have been created is being decreated. The Hebrew people are led into freedom and they cross into a land that is described in the Bible as the land of Canaan. And it's a land that sounds very like the Garden of Eden. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land of safety and of security and peace and purpose. All through the Old Testament, this happens. If you read read Jeremiah chapter 23, you'll read of Jeremiah describing what will happen to Israel thousands of years after Abraham and the stories of Genesis. And there he describes a world that becomes void and dark and formless again. And every time that happens, God intervenes. So you have a world that has been created and is beginning to deconstruct and decompose because of mistakes and failures and nobody knows how to hit the reset button. They try to do it socially and it doesn't work. They try to do it politically and it doesn't work. They try to do it educationally and it doesn't work because human beings can't set reset buttons. Here in Northern Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, in the United Kingdom, and in Europe, and in North America, in Hungary, in France, in Germany, in countries that are trying to hit a reset to rediscover who they are and what they're here for and have a better society, they're all failing. Because politicians can't do it. And educationalists can't do it. And and social workers can't do it. And sociologists can't do it. And psychiatrists can't do it. No one can hit a a reset button. 
But in all of those stories, God resets something. He intervenes in time and in history. And by the time we get to the story of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God has intervened in the most decisive and powerful way through his son, Jesus Christ. Israel and the world decomposing, breaking down, things going wrong. And God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die. And he is buried and for three days remains dead, decomposing like any other body would. And three days after his death, he rises. And as he rises from the dead, Christians believe recreation begins for the final time. Let me say something to you, which is a really important thing. And if you're not a Christian or you're a new Christian or you're not used to this language, it's important for you to get a hold of this. Jesus doesn't bring recreation. The resurrected Jesus is recreation. As he rises out of the grave, he is the assurance for all who trust him that we will rise too. That new life has come, that we will not be trapped going round and round and round in circles. Jesus' resurrected body, Jesus' resurrected teaching and Jesus' promise mean this. If you have been stuck and you adhere yourself to Christ, you are adhering yourself to someone who is the reset. You get the chance to start again. And for some of us, we get the chance to start again, 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 again. And everybody that knows that you need that grace, say amen. Uh, there should be more that said amen than that. <laughs> In Jesus Christ, recreation has broken into the world. So the same story's happening again. But this time for the full and the final time. You see, Jewish people believed something. They believed that the world as it was created was on a decline. It was heading towards some kind of self-destruct. Ask um, eco-warriors and ask the extinction campaign and ask anybody else if they think that we're on that trajectory now and they'll say, yes, we are. We need to do something to stop the way we're aiming societally in the family, in the home, in our education with young people. It's not just in personal lives. Across European, American, I would suggest global society, there is a decline happening. Since the beginning of the 20th century, we've advanced technologically further than we've ever gone. We've advanced educationally further than we've ever gone. But something is going wrong. At the beginning of the 20th century, um, people were talking about the brotherhood of humanity. They, the idea that by the time you got to perhaps 1940 or 1950, there would be no war, no no. No fear, no, no animosity, no disease. That um, ill health would have been eradicated. Poverty would have been eradicated. Hunger would have been eradicated. Um, diseases that, uh, so, that blighted sub-Saharan Africa would have been eradicated. Looking back now, 2019, coming into 2020 in seven months, where did those five months go? Can you believe that we were saying at the beginning of the 20th century that one day all of those things would be happening? I read an article recently that suggested by the time you got to the year 2000, the average lifespan would have been 135. Some of us say, thank God it's not. <laughs> Written in 1900. This positive, 
oh, it'll all sort itself out in the end mindset impacted philosophy, it impacted theology, it impacted art, it impacted politics, it impacted media, it impacted education, it impacted industry, it impacted national relationships, it impacted contracts, it impacted um, engineering, and it's all, none of it has, it hasn't happened. Because at the same time as this sharp increase in knowledge and increase in capacity and increase in understanding, there's a terrible decline happening. Human beings are more detached from one another than we've ever been, yet more connected in potential than we ever have been. I stood this morning watching men and women leave our church family, a church family I love, and you know, I thought to myself, it's possible to come into a church like this, a fantastic church, and to leave it week after week and still be lonely. Still have no one to talk to. It's possible to be a young adult and not able to break into the circles of friendships that exist there. It's possible to be uh, in your 40s and 50s and not able to break into that generation. It's possible to be in your 60s and not able to break into that generation. It's possible to come here and be a young person and see young people sit in the same seats every week and go away and think there's just no space for me. So we can be advancing and yet at the same time isolating and something going wrong. And nobody knows how to reset it. Run another program, it's not gonna reset it. Educationally, societally, philosophically, politically, we need something else. And Christian faith believes that in Jesus Christ, a reset has happened that you can be included in. A reset that goes down to the very atoms of the earth the ground that we walk on, the air that we breathe. We believe that when Jesus Christ died and rose again, a reset was pressed. And all people who respond to him are caught up in his purposes and plans. That's why Paul says, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What's new in this new creation? What does God offer me as new in the new creation? I have a friend, I have a few left, thank God, who is the chief executive of the YMCA in Bournemouth. His name is Gareth Sherwood. He was a medical doctor, became an Elam pastor. His dad was an Elam minister too, a guy called Mike. Gareth has a real heart for the gospel. Fantastic young guy, he's in his mid-30s. Took a job as the chief executive of um, Bournemouth YMCA and is doing a fantastic job. But he's a very, very profoundly committed Christian. And he went on to a radio program about five or six weeks ago and the radio presenter said, and this, this, the YMCA in Bournemouth is, is achieving fantastic things. Gareth said, thank you very much. He's very understated. Thank you very much. And the interviewer said, why is that? And Gareth said, Jesus. <laughs> and the interviewer said, I beg your pardon? It was BBC Radio Solent, I think. And Gareth said that Jesus. He said, we are the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Association. We believe that Jesus changes lives. And the presenter said, what, like real lives? Not just churchy lives, real lives. And Gareth said, yes. He said, well, why, 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 do, you, why, do, you, why do you show such commitment to him? Completely non-Christian audience. And Gareth said, well, because he takes people that we work with who have no past or have a broken past and he mends their hearts. He gives them a future. He gives them a roof over their head. He gives them friendship. He gives them self-confidence. 
He helps them deal with the mistakes that they've made. He helps them not just run away from their past, but stop and face it. He gives them the courage to say sorry where that's needed and to rebuild something in their lives. He gives them virtue and values that they can hold on to. He gives them a sense of self-worth. He gives them the ability to walk into a community and not hang their heads in shame. He gives them a clean sheet so they don't need to be embarrassed or afraid anymore. He deals with some of the profoundest personal issues that they have. He helps them to begin to rebuild their families. He helps them to begin to rebuild their lives. Sometimes not everything is possible for them, but they can face the future with confidence and with purpose because Jesus has come into their hearts and into their lives and has done something that is so profound that it affects them educationally, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally. Every area of their lives is changed by their interaction with Jesus. And the presenter said, oh. And Gareth said, I thought this was a brilliant line, if you can show me anyone else that can do it better, I would consider that. When we've dressed everything else up with religious language, the reality is this, Jesus Christ gives you a new life. He forgives your sin. He wipes the slate clean. He can lift you out of the biggest mistakes that you've ever made. He can give you courage to start again. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Consider with me just three simple things from the text that I've read to you tonight. Who does this apply to? So if anyone is in Christ... They are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you need new creation, if you need a reset button, then it comes in Christ, nowhere else. Not in church, not in services, not in attendance, not in your kindness, not in anything that you do. It comes in him. And it's available to anybody who will ask him for it. Anybody that will take up his offer. How? How is this recreation made available to us? We are told very simply and very straightly in verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. There is no other source. Jesus' reset involved him paying your cost for your mistakes, taking your sin your failure, your brokenness and mine, your shame and mine, your sense of disconnectedness and disjointedness, taking all of it upon himself. At the end of the passage that I read to you, we read these words in verse 21. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How does this happen? Imagine for a moment that you have um, two different um, cards in your hand, bank cards. One is a debit card and one is a credit card. You all know how they work, right? Well, I hope you know how they work. If you're a student and you don't know how they work, your mum and dad will know how they work. You take a debit card and you pay for something and it takes it out of your account immediately. So if it's not there, it can't take it just a little encouragement to you. It takes it out of your account immediately. It's withdrawn immediately. If you take a credit card, you're spending money that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the bank. 
And the bank is saying, I will generously and graciously give you some money. And you think, yay, happy days. But you have to give me it back. And if you don't give me it back in a certain amount of time, you'll have to give me a bit more. It's called interest. Charged at 16,000% or something. On the cross, there is both a debit and a credit going on. The debit is that Jesus Christ is paying for your sin immediately. Paying for your wrongdoing. Paying for everything that you have done that has separated you from God. Taking all of your mistakes, all of those things that you need to reset. All those words, all those conversations, all those tricky situations. He takes them all. And in a moment as he dies on the cross, he settles the account. Wow. All of it. And as he dies, he places on you a credit you do not deserve. But there's no interest in this. There's no 16,000% APR on this. He places on you the righteousness of his father. And he gives you a new identity. What is new? Your old identity goes and new identity comes. He gives you a new family. Your old broken relationships are restored, renewed, or transformed, or replaced with new ones. He gives you a new purpose that doesn't depend on the amount of money you have in the bank or the position you hold in the company or the cars that you have or where you live or what your postcode is or who you're connected to. It's an unending, beautiful, life-transforming purpose that can never be taken away. He transforms your understanding of yourself. He transforms your understanding of people around you. And he transforms your understanding of the world. He gives you a new sense of identity and belonging. I got saved on the uh, 6th of February, 1986. And I left my house and got on a bus. And I can remember sitting on the bus before I got saved, looking out the window, thinking, I hate where I live. I hate everything about my life. And I got, became a Christian that night and got a bus back, which I think broke down twice. And as I got off the bus, I can remember, I was 16. I can remember thinking, I don't hate this place anymore. Something changed in me. My environment didn't change, I changed. God gave me a new heart. He gave me a new sense of purpose. He gave me a new identity. I was credited with a new righteousness. I had a, a new confidence in myself that wasn't about me, it was about Jesus. And at one and the same time, I lost all sense of my own significance and my own value and my own importance, and my own arrogance. Um, and I began to discover that actually my standing was something that was given to me as a gift. My righteousness was something given to me as my gift. My hope was something that was given to me as a gift. I didn't need to earn it, it had been given to me. No APR. But there is a cost, your life. The missionary to the Chinese, Hudson Taylor, once said, anybody can be a committed Christian. All it takes is your life. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. Who does that apply to? All of us. How is it secured through what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me? And what is the impact in us? We become part of a new creation in a dying world. We become part of a community that offers life and hope. Do you know what my hope is for Dundonald Elam? That 
all over Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland and the world via online media, people will hear that Jesus is here and that lives are changed one at a time every week. Families are restored, broken lives are put back together. God's life and mercy and grace pours into us. If all of that is true, if Christ has paid for me, if he has bought me, if he has offered me new life, how do I enter into it? I accept it. I receive it. I come with open hands and I say, I don't want my old life, I'm sorry for it. I will give you my old life. Please give me your new life. I lay my life before you. Please take it off me and let me have your life. We sometimes metaphorically or physically kneel before him and we say, Lord, I can't come any other way other than as I am. So I'm, I'm here with all of my brokenness and all of my mistakes and all of my shame and all of my questions and all of my despair and all of my, my unanswered longings and I'm laying them at your feet. They look like a pile of rags. And God says, and I can give you riches and beauty and life and significance and forgiveness and a fresh start and value and worth. But you have to give me what you had so that I can give you what I have for you. Every person here today, every person online, that is offered to you. I want you to think about it. Because God, when he comes with new life, can give us new life physically, new life spiritually, new life relationally. He can do more than you could ever begin to think. And all day, I've had the benefit, my wife and I are down in Carnlock for a few days. Um, there, is, there is a benefit of a, an, hour and a, an hour and 15 minutes driving up and an hour and 15 minutes driving back and an hour and 15 minutes driving up again and an hour and 15 minutes driving down and we brought the dogs with us so they wouldn't run away. And walking on the beach with them, you have time to stop and think. And all day, I have been thinking about tonight's service. Because I think God wants to do some exchanging here. Not just for those who are not yet Christians. But I think he wants to offer those that are not yet Christians this new life. Here in this building, I, I really do believe that. And online, he wants to open some hearts and give you a new future. Gosh, would you not run after that with all of you, everything that you have? If somebody said to you, I can give you a life worth living compared to the life you have now, all you have to do is take it. Why on earth would you not? I'm getting higher as I get excited. <laughs> but I also think that he wants to give some new life to Christians who have got battle-weary and worn. And right about now, you are saying, oh, well, you know, I, 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 I don't do public responses and things. If you're going to ask me if I want to have a fresh touch from the Lord, you know, brother, he can touch me right here. You're not going to ask me to move. I am. I think for some of us, I don't mean you have to move. I'm not that daft. I think for some of us, the season 
of heartbreak and pain has gone on long enough. The season of regret has cast its shadow over you long enough. It's time to leave it at the feet of the cross. And let God give you something different. Let him offer you something. I think God wants to spiritually renew people here tonight. To invite you into a new space. To give you new hope, new confidence, a new sense of calling, a new sense of possibility. Perhaps to lay down some of your jadedness or some of your tiredness or some of your disappointment or some of your hurt or some of your religiosity or some of your exhaustion. He just wants to give you a new touch of his spirit. I also think that he wants to move physically and bring new life. Touching bodies and minds that have been broken and bringing restoration and healing. God brings new life spiritually to those that are dead, physically to those who need his touch, emotionally to those that have lost their way. Would you bow with me in prayer? Could the musicians please come back?